Thank you for coming out this evening. If you would take your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Uh, probably a familiar passage uh, to most of us. And I would say that uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. Uh, it's been a while since I've got to uh, open up God's Word and share with a crowd, so I'm very grateful. Um, I would also say we arrived a little bit, a little bit early tonight, and uh, when we when we get early, um, I just have this thing that I just kind of like to uh, drive through the neighborhoods. And I like to pray over the homes and the families and see the people that are out in their yards, um, the kids that are walking down the sidewalks, and I pray for them. And on a night, you know, like tonight or a Sunday evening, I always wonder why they're not here. I always wonder... It's just a personal thing, but what are we doing wrong? <laughs> That's the first thing that I come to whenever there's an issue. What have I done wrong? I wonder, what do they think about us? I wonder, what do we think about them? Um, sometimes the Lord just impresses things on me, and at other times I'm just kind of at a loss. Um, but I hope this message tonight will show you uh, where my heart is, where God's heart is, and uh, how he reacts to those people. Before I read our scripture, I'd like to uh, read a, a couple of quotes to you. For studying for this lesson, I came across a couple of inter interesting things um, that I thought were noteworthy to begin with. When D.L. Moody was directing his Sunday school in Chicago, and if you don't know about D.L. Moody, he, uh, <laughs> he never was ordained. One of the most famous preachers, soul winners we've ever had on this piece of ground. And he was a Sunday school director. That's what he was known as, not the pastor. When D.L. Moody was directing his Sunday school in Chicago, one boy walked several miles to attend. And somebody asked him, why, do you, why don't you go to a Sunday school closer to home? His reply is, because they love a feller down there. I read in uh, Chuck Swindoll's commentary, and he, he got this quote from somebody else. The neighborhood bar is possibly the best counterfeit there is to the fellowship Christ wants to give his church. It is an imitation dispensing liquor instead of grace, escape rather than reality. But it is a permissive, accepting, and inclusive fellowship. It's unshockable. It's democratic. You can tell people secrets, and they usually don't tell others or even want to. The bar flourishes not because people are alcoholics, but because God has put into the human heart the desire to know and be known to love and be loved, and so many seek a counterfeit at the price of a few beers. Chuck goes on to say, with all my heart, I believe Christ wants his church to be a fellowship where people can come in and say, 
I'm sunk. I'm beat. And I've had it. Luke chapter 15. Starting in verse 1, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you uh, for the day, and we thank you for the gift of the day. Uh, Lord, I hope that uh, our ways have been pleasing to you this day. I pray that everything that's said and done on this place tonight is pleasing in your sight. Uh, I pray that the name of Jesus is exalted, and we beg you to meet with us here. And we thank you for meeting with us here. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In this passage, we start out with Jesus, tax collectors and sinners, scribes and Pharisees. I call this the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> it's hard for us to read a story and not identify with somebody in that story. I doubt any of us would identify with the good, because that would be Jesus. And it's a toss-up on whether we fall with the bad or the ugly. When I was a kid, my dad had this shirt. It's a sweatshirt. I'd always wear it. And it said the good, the bad, and the ugly. OU, Nebraska. OSU. <laughs> I can remember going on vacations and finding that order reversed in other states. <laughs> Catch the first verse. There were people coming to listen to Jesus. When was the last time you just stopped? Maybe right in the middle of a prayer. Maybe it's why you come to church. But when was the last time you intentionally came to Christ not to ask Him for something, not to gripe to Him for something, but just so that you could hear Him speak and be in His presence? I'm sure that you're well aware that the reason this passage says tax collectors and sinners, and not just sinners, is because tax collectors were seen as a special kind of sinners. There was, there was sinners over here. This was just your normal, you know, normal group, non-religious people, if you would. And then there was the tax collectors. They were especially loved by their own people. These were uh, Jewish people who went to work for the Romans collecting taxes from their own people and taking more than what they were supposed to. They were a, a category of sinners that everybody just kind of said, yeah, you're, you're in your own. So we have tax collectors and sinners, and then we have the scribes and the Pharisees. 
And if you're not aware of who they are, the scribes were the ones who literally wrote out the law, who uh, copied it from paper to paper. The Pharisees, they were the ones who lived the law. So you have a non-religious group, and you have a religious group, if you will. You have a division in the non-religious group, and you have a division in the religious group. But yet, all of these people came to one center point, and that one center point was where Jesus was. Um, They began to grumble and say, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? If you're not aware of the culture of that time, maybe even even during this time as well, to eat a meal with somebody, um, that meant something. It was something special. Uh, You were identified with that person. When you found yourself in their home, people seen you in their home, and you are literally fellowshipping with them over a meal, um, you were pretty much identified with that person or that group from that time forward. This wasn't the first time that Jesus had done this. This is why they're complaining. Why does he continue to do this? Why does he not come and stay in our house? Why does this man of God not hang out with the religious crowd? Why? Why is he with these scum? Why is he with the outcast? They were confused. They couldn't figure it out. Jesus heard them complaining about it, and he tells three parables. And we'll get through these by 7.30. He tells three par- yeah, ish, thank you. We did start late. No, I'm kidding. So Jesus tells three parables to try and help these guys to understand why it is that he's sitting in this house, why it is he does what he does. And he starts with just a simple story about a shepherd and some sheep. And he, and he tells them, he says, which one among you, if he has a hundred sheep and loses one, will not leave the 99 and go and search for the one? As a matter of fact, which one of you will not continue to search until you find that one sheep? And when you do find the sheep, you throw it on your shoulders, and you come back and you find your friends, and you say, rejoice with me over this sheep that was lost and found. Jesus says that, I tell you the truth, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents over one who repents than 99 who don't need repenting. Now, I feel like we have to look at the 99 who don't need repenting. For Jesus to say that somebody doesn't need to repent, uh, I think if, if that's the way we understand what he's saying, I think we're seeing it wrong. I think it's more like 99 who think they don't need to repent, or at least 99 who didn't wander away from the flock. But he tells another story after this. He says, which, which one of you women, whom having ten coins, and by him marking this off as ten coins, most believe that this is part of a wedding set, just to tell you the truth. Not just a, a day's wage coin, but a coin that was actually very important 
It was part of a wedding engagement set, and it would have meant a great deal to this woman. But which one of you women, if you lost one of your ten coins, would not sweep the house, light a lamp, and search for it until you found it? And then when you do find it, you know, nobody knew that you lost it. But when you do find it, you're so happy and you're so overwhelmed over this one that you call your friends and you rejoice and you have a party and you say, come and celebrate with me. I found what was lost. And then he says, there's more rejoicing in the presence of God and the angels over one sinner who repents. Jesus is building a, a pattern here. Lost, searching, found, rejoicing. He does this twice. I think it's easy, easy for us to understand that a sheep would wander off and get lost, and we would go after it, and we would find it. We can kind of understand that concept. Um, it, we kind of miss the concept, I think, of uh, a woman losing her coin, um, or maybe we don't. Sheep are dumb. They wander off. They do whatever they want. We pull them back in. Coins don't wander off. They're not dumb. The logical explanation for the coin being lost was that somebody was careless with it. Would you agree with that? I could tell you a little story about being careless. My wife and I had uh, been in a little church right by our house for, I don't know, by this time, probably about 15 years. And um, we're a little Baptist church. And you know, Baptists are big on membership, sometimes a little too big, but we're big on membership. Well, our little church had a little membership book from the very first member of our church, which would have been the pastor, uh, up to the current time. And there was about 20 years of history in this book. Every member that had ever come through our church, their name was written in this book. Some think it's the Lamb's Book of Life. It's not. It's not. Thank you for laughing because <laughs> it's not the Lamb's Book of Life. It's a church membership book. Well, either way, we went to go add some names into our book. We had a, a, a round where we had salvations, we had baptisms, and we went to go and add names into this book. And nobody could find it. It was lost. Our church wasn't that big. There's not that many people in it. We shouldn't have lost it. We searched everywhere. Nobody could find it. We were convinced it wasn't in the building. But we weren't convinced of who took it home. Months go by. And... I'm uh, at the church one day with our pastor, and we're, we're hanging, uh, hanging screens on the wall and putting up uh, the projectors and stuff. And I asked him, I said, hey, did we ever figure out what happened to the membership book? And he says, oh, you didn't hear? And I said, no, I didn't hear. What happened to it? He said, well, um, the church secretary at the time, and by the way, this was a new pastor. He says, the church secretary 
at the time took the book home to put names in it. While she had it at home, her and her husband had a fight. Long story short, they ended up splitting up. She left the book at the house, has not gone back. He threw the book away, and it's gone. He said, I'm sorry, but it's gone. I am uh, thinking at this moment, here I am, a deacon in this church, an ordained minister. I'm not directly responsible for what people do, but I'm responsible for what people do in our church with our stuff. I'm going to give an account to God for how I watched over his flock and how I watched over my brothers and sisters. Well, it made me sick to my stomach, and I happen to know this couple very well. So we finished what we were doing that day, and uh, I left, and I went, I went home. Matter of fact, I didn't even make it home before I told the Lord how sorry I was and how irresponsible all of us were with something that was very important to us. Um, and I asked him if there was any way that I could make it right. I said, Lord, I'll do whatever you tell me. <laughs> Is there any way I can make this right? Well, I didn't sleep much that night. And I got up the next morning pretty early. And I'm heading to work, and I guess it was just eating on me. So I called this guy about sunup. And he answers the phone. And I asked him about the book and uh, if he threw it in the trash. And he played it off and told me that he didn't know what happened to it, um, that they no longer lived in the house. Uh, the house was, went back to the builder, which happened to be somebody that I work for almost every day. And I said, okay, enough's enough. Appreciate it. See you. So I called my builder, and I said, hey, do you still have this house? And he says, yeah. Um, why? I said, well, we lost our book, long story short. I want to go out there to the house and look and see. He said, well, let me warn you that the house has been cleaned up. It's sold. I close on it today. But the new owner's a nice guy. He's a Christian. He's Methodist, but he's a Christian. And he may let you go out there and dig around on the place and see if you can find it. And I said, okay. Um, I said, would you be willing to meet me out there, introduce me to the guy? And he says, yeah, I sure would. And he says, by the way, how could you let something so important walk out of the walls of that church? That should have never happened. You should have never let that book go outside the doors of that church. You know that. I said, I know that now. <laughs> I know that now. He said, come by the office. So I go by the office, and I'm kind of hanging out and waiting for him. His son-in-law sitting off to the side, and he says, what are you doing? I said, well, fixing to go look for a book. He said, your church membership book? I'm like, uh. I said, yeah. He said, well, let me just tell you, you're not going to find it. And I said, why is that? And he said, that place has been dozed. All of the trash piles were burned. Holes were dug with our backhoes. Trash pushed in, covered up, 
He said, it would take an act of God for you to find that book. I said, thanks, buddy. We got in the truck and we left. And when we were on our way down there, I called my wife and I said, honey, I need you to pray for me. I'm going to go dig around and see if I can find our book. Um, evidently, it's been thrown to the trash and burned and rained on and covered. And either way, I'm going to go dig around, see if I can find that book. And uh, she says to me, do you want me to get my shovel and come help you? Uh, that day changed the way that I see my wife. Um, I don't know about her confidence in me so much, but in the Lord for sure. But when she was willing to pick up a shovel and go search for a needle in a haystack, um, yeah, that's my wife, y'all. Either way, made it to the house. I get out, we get introduced to the new owner. And as my builder buddy's telling him what I'm about to do and asking him if I can do it, the guy's like smiling, thinking this is a practical joke. And uh, I said, no, it's, it's not a joke. This is for real. And he says, okay. Um, he says, how about this? I'm going to have a dozer out here in about two weeks, and I can have him uncover stuff, and y'all can dig through the trash. Um, maybe, maybe that'll make you feel better. And I said, okay, I appreciate that. So I gave, him, I gave him a card, and I said, call me and let me know when they get here, but if you don't mind, I'd like to dig today. He says, knock yourself out. So I drove kind of around the corner, and they, they came over, and they said there was a, a brush pile about somewhere in here. And I just kind of turned around and looked, and there was a brush pile about somewhere in here. And uh, there was some more over there, and um, good luck, buddy. Knock yourself out. So I grabbed a pair of posto diggers, and I just kind of walked, and I just shoved them into the ground, and I looked at both of them, and one of them said, uh, you can't wait for a dozer to get here? And I said, well, if the dozer finds it before I do, I'm not going to get the same product back, okay? And the other one says, when you wear those posto diggers out, there's another set in the barn. I'll see you later. And they drove off. I dug a hole three feet deep and finally hit trash. I started making the hole bigger and bigger, and I had it about the size of a 55-gallon drum. And so at this point, I'm thinking, Lord, how much do I have to dig? <laughs> how much do I have to dig to make this right? And as I continue to dig, um, I notice, I notice what looks like, kind of like what I'm looking for, just the, the corner of it. And uh, uh, starting backwards, I see S-R-E-B. I got on my hands and my knees, and I dug like an animal. And I pulled this book out of a trash pile that had been burned rained on and pushed in a hole and the only mark on it came from my diggers I picked this book up and I raised it over my head and I kept my head bowed 
And I said, you did it, God. You did it. I set it on my truck, and I worshiped. I worshiped until the tears didn't come out of my eyes anymore. I picked up my phone, and I called my builder. And he says, hello. And I said, I have it. He said, what? I said, it's in my hands right now. He said, oh, me of little faith. And thank you today for having faith. And we hung up. And I called my wife. And I said, babe, I've got it. I've got it. Well, I'm heading to the church. This is a small church. It's a bivocational church. I'm taking this book to my pastor. He doesn't work there. <laughs> I get there, and he's there. I came walking in the front doors. He had his grandson with him. Now, mind you, I'm wearing khaki shorts, Justin boots. I've got dirt all over me. I'm bleeding, and I'm crying. And I'm carrying this book in. I said, here's the book. He says, okay, what happened? I said, here's the book. He says, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. There's the book. What's the matter? Are you all right? I said, here is the book. And he finally understood what I was saying. And he looked at it, and he said, you went and dug that out of the trash? I said, you'll never know what I did to get this book. We take it into the fellowship hall. He begins to wipe it up, clean it up. We open it up. First member was our first pastor. The last member who was entered into that book was the young man that threw it into the trash. He had accepted Christ. His name was put in that book. And then him and his wife split up. He was mad at God. So to get back at him, he threw that away. He told me this. He told me this. This leads us to the last parable in this story. We find that there is a, a father who had two sons. And the younger of the two came to his dad and said, Dad, I really don't care about you. Um, matter of fact, I'm, I'd rather you were dead and I had your stuff so that I could do what I want to do with it. Obviously, that's my paraphrase. Can you imagine saying that? Your stuff's more important to me than you. Can you imagine a father giving 
The stuff? Okay. Well, if my stuff's more important to you than me, here you go. It's yours. Does God ever give you what you want instead of what you need? Just wondering. So we're told that the young man takes his stuff, sells it quickly, which means you don't get the best price for it, turned it all into money, and then hit the road. The story goes on to tell us that he wastes every single penny of it. And then Jesus says something that strikes fear into the heart of all of these people when he says, famine. Said this young man spent every penny, didn't have anything left, and then a famine hit. No work, no food. What are we going to do? Then we find that the young man was willing to do something for somebody he didn't know that he wasn't willing to do for his own father. Let's get up and go to work. Hires himself out to a foreigner. By this time, the Jews who are listening to this story are getting hot. They're mad. First of all, the young man was wrong. Second of all, the dad was wrong. Now the young man's wrong again because he's hiring himself out to a foreigner. Oh, but then he really gets them. He hired himself out to feed pigs. Okay, Jews and pigs, you can't really even say it in the same sentence. They do not like pigs. They think they are the most filthiest thing on the face of the planet. So this young man hires himself out to go and feed the man's pigs. As he's feeding the pigs, Scripture says that he longed to eat the food that the pigs were eating. 2,000 years ago, animals were being treated better than human beings. I don't know that much has changed. Jesus says this young man, wanting to eat pig's food, finally came to his senses and realized how good he had it back at dad's house. Says that he came to his senses. We're going to go ahead and call that repentance. Resolution, if you will. But notice that it wasn't just a change of mind. It was a change of heart and a change of action. It says that he took off back home and decided that he would tell his father that he had sinned against him and against heaven and that he was no longer worthy to be called his son. But would you please just make me a servant in your house because even your servants are living much better than me. So while this young man was on his way home, Jesus says that the father seen him from a long ways off. and says that he ran to him. And that he embraced him. And that he kissed him. 
You ever blown it before? You ever really messed up? And when we mess up and we're sitting here thinking, how am I ever going to face this again? How? How am I going to face God after what I've done? Don't miss what Jesus says. Jesus says, by the time you can turn around and start your way back to our Heavenly Father, that He's already running to you. He's running to you, the Creator of the world. Father obviously welcomes his son back. Puts a robe on him. Gives him the family ring, the signet ring, the authority seal. By the way, he was barefoot when he came home. He said put shoes on his feet as well. Kill the fattened calf. It's time to celebrate. Remember, heaven is rejoicing over this one who has repented. It struck me a day or two ago that there's like, there's smiles in heaven, you know? There's joy, there's laughter. Some of that comes because of what we do right here. You ever catch that? When one sinner repents, there's a celebration that happens in heaven. Well, as the party's going on, we have our last character who shows up. We'll call him the church. No, we'll call him the Pharisees and scribes. The elder brother, the one who's never left, the one who's done everything right on the outside but has had the worst attitude on the inside. The one who doesn't see value in anybody but himself. The one who looks good on the outside, but who's sour on the inside. The younger brother that came back looked terrible on the outside, but he was right on the inside. Now dad's got a problem with the elder boy. The elder boy refuses to come in. He refuses to come in and celebrate. He refuses to rejoice at his brother's back. And he's pretty mad that dad accepted him back. Chooses dad out and says, your boy, not my brother, your boy. He made a fool of you and every one of us. And dad says, son, don't you get it? He was dead to us. But he's back. He's remorseful. He's alive. And he pleads with him to come in and rejoice with him parable 
unfortunately, doesn't end like the first two. Because the ones that he's telling the stories to, you know, they're on the outside of the house. They're not on the inside. But I will say, Jesus seems to clarify, if you think that I eat with sinners and tax collectors, you've got it all wrong. I go after sinners and tax collectors. As a matter of fact, I've gone after you, too. I think Christ's message to his church is to get outside the walls and go after sinners. Take his message to a lost and a dying world that he died for. I'll do my best to really listen to the Lord and to preach what he tells me to preach. I will say this message seemed odd to me for a Wednesday night. Sunday night when we sat in here praying. He reached down and said this. Okay, Lord. Whatever you want. That's what I'll do. We've got a couple of minutes. We preach. And we expect a response. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm going to ask you to take a moment. Answer whatever the Lord has said to your heart. It could be that you know one of these boys. It could be that it's one of your boys, one of your daughters. Would you pray that God would give you the boldness to share the gospel with them, but to share the news that if you'll simply turn and go in his direction, he's already running to you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're forever grateful for your grace and your mercy that you extend to us each and every day. If we're true to ourselves, we certainly understand that we don't deserve any of it. God, we know that you've called us through the Great Commission to go to all of creation, to go all over the globe, and to spread your gospel. Would you help us, this church, Emmaus, to focus on those that are right here all the way around this building, these neighborhoods. God, there's people in those homes. There's children. There's people who have never heard the gospel and don't have a clue what we're about here. Would you help us to be faithful, not just to preach your word 
and the gospel inside these walls, but to go out and to share it with all of these folks, our family, our neighbors, the people on the other side of town, the waitress at the diner, the clerk at the bank, teachers, our students, our police officers and our firefighters. Dear God, those that are under the bridge, would you help us to be your hands, your feet, and your mouth, and to just go love on people. We love you. We thank you. And we trust you. In Jesus' name.